The Swans, they let a top four and a double chance slip on Saturday night. Pride is little consolation when we lose to the Hawks. We haven't even beaten them at the SCG since 2010 and we've hardly beaten them since they started winning flags. Our kids stood up and almost led the Swans to victory, but where were our experienced heads when it mattered most? We find out today if we face the Giants or the Cats at the SCG in two weeks' time. You are listening to the Swans Blogs and Swanscast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. In this week's episode, we review the Swans' disappointing home loss to the Hawks. We talk about late changes and what impact they had on the game. We give you our Sunday Champions villains, discuss a selection of players, and review the Swans' final round loss. I'm Justin Mitchell, and with me is Swans cast regular Heather Quinlan. Now, Heather, you've said to me offline it's uh, not all doom and gloom. 100%, um, Justin. I hope there's not too many Swans fans out there um, you know, crying into their cornflakes on a Sunday <laughs> morning because... Uh, it was a it was a really good game, and I I think that you know we got very close. We couldn't close it out. We, they were fast finishing the Hawks as they they often are, and I know it's um, disappointing, but I think that there were some excellent positives to come out of it. And I think everybody needs to understand that when you lose two players of the quality of Lance Franklin and Luke Parker, there's going to be an impact on your team's performance. So yep, I'm I'm actually quite upbeat. Yeah, look, it's it's a really positive result despite the fact that we lost, and I, I agree on that. And when you look at who we had missing out of the side, not just um, those two players, but you're looking across the rest of the squad as well, I thought we did um, pretty well, especially in the first half. Our first half performance was arguably the best we've had all season, I would say. We controlled the ball beautifully. We controlled the flow of the game, the tempo, the pace, and we absolutely punished the Hawks whenever we went forward. It's just a shame that pretty much every time they got a goal, it was from a defensive turnover. Yeah, there was a bit of that. I feel like that in the end, in that sort of critical last quarter, I feel like the Hawks made the most of their chances in front of goal and the Swans didn't. I mean, you've got to remember, we had a couple of shots for goal there um, where we did actually have, or Papley, I think it was, as well. And so we did have the opportunity to snatch the lead back again. Uh, well, I think we were a few points down at that point. So we did have our chances in the last quarter, but, you know, the Hawthorne was able to nail them um, at the end, I really think, in, in, you know, how it came down to it. Yeah, you're totally right there. That They, they certainly made the most of their opportunities. They kicked five goals to two in the last quarter, and the Swans, they had their chances. Uh, we look at Kieran Jack, he kicked two behinds. Florent, he should have got a 50-metre penalty when Warple uh, shoved his face into the turf. But he didn't. He went back and kicked a beautiful long goal. Callum Sinclair almost kicked a goal from about 50 metres out. And Josh Kennedy uncharacteristically sprayed one from about 40 metres out, almost directly in front. So we definitely had our chances. Uh, It's just disappointing that we couldn't capitalise. Yeah, I'm sorry. I must have got confused with uh, who was missing what at what end. But I'm, I, I, I definitely did see Papley have a shot for goal that he missed and Hayward too, but he's there. Yeah, he did. Um... He had a snap with about, I think, two, no, a minute and a half left. He just kind of grabbed it and snapped it, and it just missed as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think we definitely had our opportunities there, and we just probably just didn't, maybe lacked a tiny bit of composure, but also, too, though, you know, to be fair, some of these players were under a lot of pressure um, in relation to, you know, Hawthorne really clamping down on them. So um, we had our opportunities. Hawthorne made the most of them. And look, they, 
I mean, I think just in general, the quality of the game so highlights this um, amazing rivalry that the Swans and Hawthorne have had. And obviously, Hawthorne have had the better of that rivalry over the years. But in terms of you know close results and a, and a close and exciting game, um, there've been a few of them uh, in recent times. And and I think most people will last night, you know, not not yeah, crying into their beers too much. I, I think it wasn't wasn't a wasn't a bad night overall. No, it wasn't a bad night. I, I guess if you look at the context of the season, it kind of put us roughly where we've been all season. We haven't really been. I wouldn't say we've been a top four team. Um, certainly not this season. We've had our chances uh, coming into the bye. We were all oh, what twelve and two, or eleven and three. So we mm-hmm. should have been. We should have actually kept our noses inside the top four, despite some of those performances being a bit lackluster. Our form after the bye, we won one from five. Uh, we slipped out of the out of the top eight. Even we went from fourth to ninth in one round, uh, and then we managed to fight our way back in. And yeah, look, that was a really good fight back. We beat three of the top four teams at the time, and. It's just disappointing to um, not only lose to Hawthorne, but hand them a top fourth position as well. Yes, for me, that's the only sour note is the fact that we've managed to give Hawthorne um, yeah, a bit of a, a free kick uh, in the top four, which, of course, yep. gives you the double chance. And, and that that's annoying. But look... You know, I, I think it's fairly close uh, for me among the, these teams. We're talking about the Hawthorns, the Geelongs, the Sydneys, the GWS. You know, on any given day, I think the result can change. And we have yeah. to remember that we did beat Hawthorne on their home turf earlier this year. So, you know, even Stevens, it, it really is quite even this year with the, those middle group of teams in the top eight. So I'm I'm not I'm not despondent um, about sort of what what went on, but there were some contributing kind of factors that I guess yeah. we're going to keep talking about. Yeah, I agree. And just to go on your um, how even the competition is, basically second through 11th can just beat each other on any given day. And it's happened. It's happened throughout the course of the season. Obviously, we beat North Melbourne, but we also lost to them. Uh, we lost to Essendon. We beat Geelong, but we lost to them. We beat Melbourne um, and most of the top eight teams. But most of those teams outside, like the two or three that are really outside the top eight at the moment, who could have made it in, except Port Adelaide, they really screwed up badly at the end of the season. But most of those teams were super competitive for a large part of the season. North Melbourne even threatened to be in the top four at one point. And Essendon was certainly knocking on the door for the top eight for a long period of the season. But they can definitely beat any of the teams above them. It's probably been one of the most even seasons in history that I can think of. Certainly, as long as I've followed football, I I can't recall any season where any team from second to 11th or 12th could actually beat each other on any given day. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with that. And I guess that's coming through from some of the... um structures that the AFL has put in place you know through the draft and other ma- and other things that to achieve that so i guess you know they can give themselves a tick yeah agree absolutely agree and if you have a look at some of the other results on the weekend Fremantle were a whisker away from being in Collingwood which is remarkable <laughs> remarkable they they actually performed really really good and to be honest i don't know if you watched the match there heather but they should have beaten them and they should have been up by about six goals at one point that's how good they were playing but the way they took the ball inside forward 50 was very Swans-like from about a month ago, a bit over a month ago, when plenty of ball in the midfield, plenty of ball in the defence, and just going forward, we just bomb it and turn it over, butcher it going forward. So, mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the Dogs, they almost beat Richmond. So I think they've given Richmond a bit of a scare and other teams kind of uh, sat up and paid attention, go, ooh, okay then, Richmond is beatable after all. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think there's, uh, I think it's going to be actually quite an exciting final series. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And um, obviously, the last game in a round, uh, the last, well, there's two important games today. We have West Coast, who's playing in Brisbane. Uh, West Coast has to win if they want to finish top two. If they don't, there will be a final. The first three finals, I think, will be in Melbourne because Sydney lost, to, so they are playing at the SCG. So three, potentially three of the four finals in the first week could be at Melbourne. Then we also have GWS Melbourne. Yeah. They can't finish top four, but they can finish fifth. One of those teams can finish fifth, so... Yes, absolutely. And so I think that, you know, that will be a game that uh, many Swans fans will be uh, have their eyes glued to. Um, and I, I don't know about you, Justin, but I just I can't pick the winner of that game. I really can't because GWS wouldn't have enjoyed losing to Sydney last week. I mean, they were... Yeah, yeah they, were, they sort of were a bit you know, faded out there, um, just weren't that... I don't know. They just looked a bit weak, limp. Not not limp-wristed. That's 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 the wrong phrase. But they just never been that happy about it, and will be really coming out firing against Melbourne. You just don't know what you're going to get from either team. So, let's wait and see um, what happens. Yeah, it's a very good point, and I totally agree on that. They have been a bit inconsistent throughout the year as well. So, it's going to be an interesting game to watch, I think. But um, look, it's time for our Sunday champions. So, mm. uh, Heather, could you please give me your Sunday champion? Well. My Sunday champion today is, and I did think about this quite a lot, but I've, I've chosen George Hewitt because he often does a job for the Sydney Swans which flies a little bit under the radar because he camped down on a particular key opposition midfielder. And uh, so he doesn't rack up a lot of stats. He, do, he re- rarely, if any time, really shows up on your, your AFL fantasy uh, points If you know, for those of you who follow that, that kind of thing. But he did, in particular in the first half, when Mitchell basically had no influence on the game, I think he only had nine possessions for the entire first half, which could be some kind of record for the season for him because he's had a really a fantastic season for Hawthorne and potentially is highlight how terrific George Hewitt was on him in terms of restricting his access to the ball and also getting a fair bit of it, of it himself. I think he ended up with 23 or 24 possessions. Yeah. Had, had double-digit clearances, and I just thought that, given that Mitchell has had games this year where he's he's had over 50 possessions and certainly many over 40, and has really run right, I think I think for George to be able to um, just sort of keep him in check and ensure that he didn't just sort of run around the field at will, uh, because Mitchell does have a ter- you know tremendously high work rate. I think that was really noteworthy, and uh, he's definitely my champion for today. Yeah, it's a great champion, and to be honest, I was looking at the game thinking, I reckon George Hewitt would be my champion as well, but uh, I'm glad you took that one. Um, His first half against Mitchell was really, really good. It was basically the main reason I felt that we were up by 24 points at one point. Um, I had a look at his halftime stats. You're right, he had nine disposals, but his third quarter was his best quarter, Mitchell, that is. He Mm. had nine disposals in the third quarter alone. And he actually racked up, I think, uh, three three clearances. So he kind of got a little bit loose in the third quarter, but clamped back down in the fourth quarter and really, really restricted him. But obviously, at that point, the Hawks, they had the march on. Yep. So for my Sunday champion, I mm-hmm. actually commented on him during the match, and I thought he was having a really good game. His first half was superb, and that is our 18-year-old centre-half forward, Tom McCartan. He's coming for a little bit of flack from different sort of corners of the supporter base because 
he isn't a really power marking player yet and he's still kind of skinny but man he still looks like a bit of a man out there playing amongst a man he is a really fierce competitor I felt in the first half alone, it was very important for him and the Swans, the way they structured up and played, that he was able to attack the contest. He wasn't marking much of the ball. He wasn't getting many possessions, but he was attacking everything, air, on the ground, the players, everything. He just smashed in as hard as he possibly could. And I felt that that was very important in the way that we played and, and in my opinion, crucial to us actually having a lead in the first half. And it set up a lot of players uh, and a lot of different players in our forward half as well. So Tom McCartan is my Sunday champion, Heather. Yeah, I like that. I like that choice because, to me, he is a bit skinny. But, look, he's only 18, so give him a couple of years and a few extra pre-seasons. I think you'll find he'll uh, turn into a... um, I'd like to see him retain his mobility because that that is something that he's really got going for him. But I think he pushed around like a, you know, like a like a little kid. So he's got wonderful hands in terms of his marking and and good goal kicking, and he seems to have excellent instincts in terms of positioning as well. So I think that's a really good choice of champion today, and uh, yeah, a bit of a fan. Tom McCartan's. Yeah, look, he had a really good game against Melbourne as well. There was one particular moment against Melbourne in, deep in the last quarter, uh, even deep in the fence when he marked in front of Callum Sinclair and Max Gorn. And that was one of the moments where I was like, this, this kid, he can definitely play. And this is when I had Mrs. Vlogs going, oh, we need to drop him. He's not doing anything good. And about two seconds later, takes a ripper of a contestant box. She's like, all right, he can stay in. <laughs> <laughs> now, time for our Sunday <laughs> yeah, villain, yeah, Heather. Exactly. Uh, I think I think yours is a little yeah. bit of a popular <laughs> Sunday villain. Could you please let us know who your Sunday villain is? <sighs> yes, reluctantly today I'm having um, Aaliyah Aaliyah. Unfortunately, this was not Aaliyah's best game. In fact, it was his worst game that I've seen him play this year uh, in the firsts. I don't know whether he was just a little bit out of sorts, uh, very fumbly throughout the match, didn't show his usual dash, didn't seem to have a lot of confidence. Uh, one terrible turnover led directly to a Hawthorne goal Yeah. Uh, in the first half. That was Paul uh, Popolo's first goal of the game. Yes, yeah. Seemed to be sometimes uh, carrying through the next action prior to actually completing the first action. In other words... He wouldn't have the ball properly in his hands yet, and he was already trying to handball it or kick it or do something with it, and just didn't have himself set. And and I, look, I think he's probably a confidence player, and he made a couple of bloopers, and then that was um, sort of the tone set for the evening. But it really, he, he was contesting well in the air, and and certainly stuck at it. He he didn't just sort of shirk it when he'd made a few bloopers. So I mean, credit to him for doing that. But I think it's safe to say that. Um, you started getting a little bit nervous when the ball was in his general area because you just yeah. weren't confident that he was going to be able, sort of, you know, to do his job um, defensively. And uh, I feel a bit disappointed for him because I am a, um, a big fan of his as well. He's got a lot of upside, but yeah, last night he sort of lowered his colours a bit for me. Yeah, last night I, I agree. Look, we are big fans. Um, certainly on the show we are, and. Um, I wouldn't say I'm his biggest fan, but I do really like what he brings to the team. Last night was a bit of a throwback to his first couple of games that he played for the Swans, where it was like, okay, he's got potential, but he's making some pretty big pretty big mistakes. And yeah, that first quarter in particular we had, I think it was Lloyd 
who went for the ball on the wing in the first 20 seconds. And the commentators were talking about how slippery it was. And he just fell on his backside. And then literally, like, the next play, it went across the defensive 50. And believe it or not, Aliyah's on his bum. And it was just like, oh, it's one of those games. He went for the first mark and it just went straight through his hands. And it was just like, oh, no, it's going to be one of those games. And it unfortunately was. You're right, he kept on cracking in. But uh, there was a couple of big, big blues in that first half. And even in the last quarter, I, I always felt that um, watching him, he seemed very tentative going to mm. the ball. Yep. I don't know if he was like, um, I wouldn't say afraid or scared of it, but he just... Like what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying, that he kind of seemed to think ahead of the next action. And then he approached the contest and he kind of lost concentration on what he was doing. Yeah, that's how it is. You know, he was feeling a bit of the pressure. Hard to say. I mean, we're not inside his head, but uh, it, it definitely we know he can do better. And if necessary, and he needs to work on his game when the conditions are a bit slippery, well, that's just, you know, one of the things he's, he's got to work on. I'm absolutely certain. Yeah, I think he'll improve as well. Um... But, yeah, look, sometimes you've got to have a couple of howlers to remember how to play well again. So this might be one of those realigning games. Unfortunately, a mm-hmm. um, couple of big turnovers cost of some big-time goals. Uh, I think in particular the one when Bruce got the... Um, basically, the game-winning goal came from... I believe it was... Uh, might have been Newman or Fox going for the ball when Aaliyah was going the other direction. Could and Aaliyah mm. should have got there at least two seconds before the other player, and he just kind of stopped and looked at the other player, and they just stopped and looked at each other. And then when they got the ball, they just turned it over straight away. The, um, I think the Ruffhead and Ruffhead almost kicked the goal, but Bruce marked on the line. Yeah, yep, that was the play. That was yeah. the sealer. That was mm. the heartbreaker. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I struggled to watch after that point um, because it's just... Ah! But... Yeah, look, um, better luck next time. <laughs> yep. And who, who's your villain, Justin? We, we're keen to know. Uh, this is probably going to be a popular one as well. Um, I haven't actually talked much about him this year because I haven't really prescribed much to get rid of Longmire or anything like that. But I'm actually going with the entire Swans coaching panel. Ooh. Now, we talked about this during the week, Heather, about, and you commented on the fact that it looks like the Swans are playing shenanigans with Franklin again. Now, last time, one of the last times I had you on the podcast was when Franklin was out, named out. I can't remember for which game it was, but then we're kind of talking about on, on um, I think it was on like Thursday, we're going, there's a bit of shenanigans going on here because he was named kind of like in the extended squad and he came in. So this week, obviously, they've named Parker and Franklin, despite the fact they weren't fit at all. They've given him every chance and they've withdrawn him at the 90 minute team submission. Okay, fair enough. They played really good in the first half, very good, positive first half, and then it was almost like a tale of two halves. They came out after half time, and it was just this total mentality shift. And no matter what happened, nothing, nothing went well. Uh, we couldn't even man up um, Shields. We couldn't even stop um, Jarman Impey. Tom Mitchell got on top, and we just started losing the ball everywhere. We were winning it in the first half. So um, yeah, I, I got to, I got to um, give the Swans coaching team my villain of the week. I don't, I thought they could have done a lot better. Not just during the game, but during the week, and um, I wouldn't say that cost us four points, but some of their decisions certainly didn't help us in the long run. Mm. Yes, well, that's a very interesting, um, very interesting villain. My feeling was that based on what we, on the outside looking in, could observe, there was talk sort of immediately 
wrong with Franklin because he came off and he was pointing and wincing and talking to physio. So we assumed that he had a problem. Immediately after the game, there was also talk, a lot of talk, about Parker having a problem. When you're playing Hawthorne and you've got this rivalry and you're coming up to the finals and you're shooting for a top four spot, I think there is some leeway, I suppose, in being able to you know, maybe play a few games with your yeah. opposition so that they're not 100% sure what's going on in your camp. Is that neither of those players were going to be up to play from pretty much from the moment the last week's games finished. So yeah. I do have a bit. I do personally, like you, have a bit of an issue with that, and I can't understand the rationale behind withdrawing them. Uh, officially nine yeah. minutes before the game because Longmire actually in his in post-match interview sort of even said, oh, look, yeah, I was confident on Thursday and then I wasn't so sure on Friday and by Saturday we knew. Like, so if you knew on Saturday and you weren't that confident on Friday, why not just pull them out the day before? I don't feel like they've gained anything by it being sort of a last-minute thing. Yeah. Uh, and having said that, though, I guess they probably would have coached the players in such a way as to suggest, look, there's every chance that we're going to be without Franklin and Parker, so this is what we yeah. think, that who's going to be able to be coming in. So no doubt they've been doing some planning, but I'm not sure this... I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it was... And yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's hard for supporters sometimes to really understand and really empathise sometimes with the way changes are made um, if there's sort of these games and things going on that people and they get a bit confused by it. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but yeah. Yeah. That's my view. No, I agree. And we've talked on this topic before and the AFL has even come out and said, you know, we will find teams who deliberately play games with the team, with the team sheets because those team sheets are important for a number of reasons. They go to betting agencies so, so people can bet on those games, knowing who's playing and who's not. They go to the AFL-run fantasy um, competitions. There's real money involved in that. Same with the tipping competitions, real money involved with that. And you can change your tips right up until, I think, two or three hours for the game. You can do your fantasy up until, I think, the Friday, um, I think a couple of hours before the first game of the, of the Friday or the first game of the week. So for teams to play games of their team list and then take out players who are clearly injured and who are definitely not going to play. I mean, Franklin... We, we knew. We knew on Sunday he wasn't going to play. Parker was like, yeah, well, I'm in this talk, but nothing from the club. And the thing that really got me from the press conference was when Longmire said neither player was going to last the full game, so we didn't want to risk him. Yeah. That's not something you learn on Saturday. That's something you know the entire week. They showed footage of Franklin at training just basically walking and standing on the spot. Yes, and that was a closed session, my understanding. So Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a pretty poor yeah. form from the Swans here, I think. Villains. Villains, <laughs> villains indeed. Now, uh, let's um, kick off our weekend review. So we have chatted a bit about the game so far. But some of the stats, it's, um, like I said before, it's a tale of two halves. And I, and I want to emphasize that because I did grab some stats. I spent a bit of time pulling out the stats from the game to emphasize and give you a picture of just how different the first half was from the second half. Excellent. So our stats before halftime, and then I'm going to give you the stats after halftime, and then we'll discuss them. But we had 61 more disposals in the first half. We had eight more free kicks. We had three less clearances. We had 10 more inside 50s, 13 more contested possessions, 14 more tackles, 14 more marks, and one more mark inside 50. And Hawthorne's three goals came from defensive turnovers. That's it. They only scored goals from defensive turnovers. Now, after halftime, we had 51 less disposals, five less marks, eight less marks inside 50, five more free kicks, six less clearances, seven less inside 50s, 
31 less contested possessions. That's right, 31, but we still had seven more tackles. Hawthorne kicks six goals to two from intercepts in the second mm. half alone. So those are some pretty telling and to some extent damning stats there. Heather, what do you make of them? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what does uh, immediately spring to mind, and that is that uh, yet again, Alistair Clarkson shows the world, like him or not, that man is a genius. And he just every single time is able to reset He's able to have a look at what's going on, make some changes and some tweaks within his team. He obviously would have given a couple of players maybe a bit of a razz up as well, moving in the second half the way they weren't moving in the first half. And that unfortunately, the Swans just weren't able to adjust enough to be able to counter that. I mean, what I noticed at the ground, which is which I believe is sort of different sometimes what you see on TV, but at the ground, it seemed to me quite obvious that Hawthorne were in to absolutely doing their absolute best to spoil the ball, but they also had more numbers around the ball on the ground so that they were actually picking up the crumbs because so there are all these marking contests almost none of them around the ground than there were virtually in the air yep. so that they had someone there to clean up those crumbs the swans they had every player up in the air none on the ground or so it seemed and so when you've got the ball in hand you're able to give yourself more chances so for me definitely controlled things in the first half and really made hay while the sun shone Shame that they couldn't have been sort of six goals up rather than four at half time. But yeah, that w w when the pressure came on, and you know, like all kudos to Alistair Clarkson for, for working it out and, and, you know, to adjust. And, and to me also, too, it just did look like there was a bit of fading going on in that fourth quarter. Again, yeah. we do have some yeah. young, we do have some younger players and, and what have you, ones who aren't quite as mature as um, yeah, some of the others on the team. So Yeah, and I, I agree I agree with that. That that is pretty much like what it did look like on T V. You when you when you do look at those marking contests, you you do make a really good point. Um, especially when what you see at the ground is different to what you see on T V. When you're watching it on T V, you definitely did see a lot of Swans players flying for the mark. And the Hawks definitely seemed to get the crumb as soon as it landed on the ground. And I think that had to do with the fact that only one or two Hawthorne players would fly for a mark, whereas about four or five Swans would fly at a mark. They'd even spoil each other at times too. So uh, they they just seem to always get the ball uh, in the second half. This is especially the third quarter. I think maybe one of the um, biggest problems for the Swans in the second half, and I've talked about him on the podcast before many times about his importance to the side and what he brings, but what he allows other players to do. And that is Dan Hanabry. So in the first half, mm. he copped studs to the knee, which would have hurt something shocking. Yeah. And then early in the third quarter, he copped an absolute ripper of a corky to his other leg, yeah. which basically meant he was practically crippled for the whole game. He couldn't even run. We're watching him run on TV, and he wasn't even... I wouldn't even call it a limp. It was basically a shuffle. Uh, he was... It was like you could put slippers on him and a dressing gown and, you know, small pyjamas and he'd be kind of out there with a couple of walking sticks and that's basically how fast he was going. He couldn't yeah. move. There yeah. was one contest in the forward line. I think it was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, I can't even remember who it was against and his opposite number just basically jogged off him and took an uncontested mark and at that point you knew, no, don't even, don't even bother about keeping him out there. There's no point. So I, I thought that when he went off, our flow in the midfield just stopped. It, it literally stopped as soon as he went off. 
Yep, I actually I do agree with that. He was because um, generally I think our midfield was beaten. Yeah, really Kennedy wasn't his best match. It wasn't a bad match, but it wasn't his best. And yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. I think that um, Hanbury had definitely been a, a a key link in the chain in that sort of part of the our, our game in the yeah. first half. And and his loss was was very much felt and field in any position, even down the forward line, was because. They valued and understood that they needed to get something from him, and he tried yeah. as hard as he could, but he was beaten up. He was beaten up bad. Yeah, he was. And look, the two weeks are going to be needed. Every every minute of those two weeks is going to be needed to get him back up as well. And it's really interesting when you look at the outs. Um, obviously, the fact that we came so close to winning with Franklin and Parker out, which the commentators rightly said are as arguably our best two players at the moment. When, when you look at Kennedy and his performance, if you have Parker in the side and Hanbury stays fit, Kennedy has a better game because Hawthorne has to focus um, Henderson and a few of the other players who are doing those tagging roles and shields and whatnot. They have to focus on a couple of different players. But all they had to do was focus on Kennedy. And the Swans, they really started losing the contested possession in the second half. George Hewitt was amazing in that first half. And then I'm not quite sure what Clarko said. I think Clarko said to Mitchell, tag him and see what happens. And Mitchell had a ripping third quarter. And Hewitt was really quiet in the third quarter, uh, I felt, as well. And that was one of the reasons why uh, Hawthorne were able to get on top. Because they managed to basically tag our two ball winners out of the out of the game. Yeah, and of course, um, I, I think it's fair to say too that uh, the wonderful Ben Ronk, who uh, who managed to kick seven goals in his debut match against the Hawthorne, yep. unfortunately wasn't able to get on the board um, with a goal this this time around. Um, he was sort of thereabouts, but just didn't wasn't quite able to sort of stamp his uh, his mark on the game, which was something we we all noticed as well. And, uh, Quite understandable because you would have thought that Hawthorne would pay particular attention to yeah. him, yeah. so that he didn't he didn't get away from them. Um, I just want to make mention of one highlight of the game for me was that I felt that Kennedy's fall out of that ruck contest and then bursting away and kicking that magnificent goal uh, from outside fifty on the run. Uh, I think it could have been the second quarter. Yeah, it was. Don't yeah. quote me. That for me was the absolute highlight of the match. That yeah. was a magnificent play. You know, the roof would have the, the invisible roof would have lifted off the SCG. <laughs> it, that 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 for me was the absolute play of the day from the Swans. I thought that was top top shelf. What did you think? Yeah, I did, and that was that was when we were really on top, and we really not only controlled the play, but I thought we dominated the play as well. Uh, we out Hawthorne Hawthorne at their own style of play, which is essentially um, possessions off, keep things off. And I thought with our uncontested marking and un- uncontested kicking and things like that, and we had a massive amount of uncontested possession compared to Hawthorne. I thought we really did that well. Mm. Sinclair and McAvoy, I'd give the give the tip to Sinclair because he kicked two goals, and I thought he had a a really good sort of um, impactful game. But yeah, it's it's um, disappointing to lose, but it's still there's a lot of positives as you said to bring from that match. So not all doom and gloom, but we still have a week off until we play our next game, and hopefully we do get some of these players back, and they are a bit more fit than they are this time around. So a couple more things that came out of the game, um, just to sort of reiterate that Taylor two halves was that we kicked four goals seven to nine goals five after halftime, after leading by twenty four points just before halftime. In the last quarter, we kicked two six to five three, and we had our chances. We had a couple of really good mm. chances as well, uh, and and George Hewitt, who I felt was our best player on the night, he finished with twenty four disposals and twelve clearances. 
So Jake Lloyd takes the takes some money for the AFL ratings, but uh, George Hewitt, I thought, was our best player on the night. And then there was probably a bit of daylight until the next best player, in, in my opinion. Well, Jake Lloyd was very good. Um, he was reliable in, in, in defence. He really wasn't sort of beaten that much, and he obviously had 31 possessions um, you know, of his own. But, um, yeah, I sort of agree with you. I, I really loved um, George Hewitt's um, game. And, uh, yeah, I think that in general our defensive unit stood up uh, reasonably well. I do wonder whether we're going to miss somebody, you know, players of the ilk of, you know, Nick Smith and... Callum Mills, who we haven't talked about much, obviously, for a long time now. Um, but I think on the night, they stood up uh, really um, pretty well under the circumstances. Good to see uh, Reg Grundy back back in the red and white yes. for us as well. Yeah. Yes. I thought he had a really good game as well. So it was um, really good to see him play. And he was certainly one of our best players on the night as well, not just for the whole game. But the first half, he was, um, I'd certainly say, our top top three players in the first half alone. Yeah, no, he was pretty good. He, he doesn't get any quicker, Reg. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, <laughs> but he's, 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 they're all part of a unit, that that, that defensive team. They don't, they don't consider themselves individuals. They're, they're just a unit. Hmm. Yeah, and I thought um, for a large portion of that match, they really did play. They did play well. But um, in, in the end, unfortunately, the uh, turnovers, they cost us in the end um, as Hawthorne scored more than half of their goals from turnovers. So they scored six goals from intercepts and they scored five goals from turnovers. So uh, yeah. it's um, pretty... That says, says it all, doesn't it? It does. Actually, no, I think it was... Um, I think AFL's got the stats wrong. It was five goals from turnovers, five goals from intercepts and one goal from a clearance because they kicked that goal, I think, in the third or fourth quarter from a center clearance and they got it in deep when they got the two in the minute. But yeah, it does, it does say it all, really. Um, so there was a comment from Longmire in the post-match conference. He said, there are a lot of positives. Our intensity was really good. I looked at the forward line at one stage and there wasn't a bloke over 20 and we were having a real crack. We'll let it slip. They are a good team. If you don't get some things right, they will make you pay, which I think is pretty much spot on. Um, <laughs> we had a forward line at one point. Um, Hayward, Ben Bronk, who's 20, Hayward's 19, Oliver Florent, who's 19, McCartan, who's 18, uh, Papley, I think he's 21, 22, and a couple of other guys in there as well who are, you know, really, really quite young as well. Yeah, yep, I, I'd, I'd support that. I I feel like that the effort and the desire and the ability was very good. There were a couple of things that, yeah, we didn't quite get right at the time, maybe the big moments and what have you. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I feel like that there were some really good positives to come out of that game, and I'm sure that um, that really the team would have been fairly upbeat about how they got through a game like yeah. that uh, on the basis that they did have two players withdrawn 90 minutes before the start. So Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I thought, you know, given given the start, it was a very quality, very good quality start and gave themselves every opportunity to finish the match out strongly. Just unfortunately, they weren't able to do so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that happens. But it's just disappointing that we've now... We're um, on the negative as far as um, home games at the SCG goes. We've had, I believe, 11 this season, and we've won just five of them. So we need to turn that around. Um, our next, next game is up. Yep, yeah, obviously, a home final. Turn it around next week, <laughs> actually. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Our next game, going to have to turn that around. Otherwise, um, it's going to be a short season, unfortunately. So. Indeed. But yeah, I, I don't know who you had as your best on, Heather, but um, my sort of best five, I had George Hewitt. Jake Lloyd, Zach Jones, Josh Kennedy, and Dane Rampey. Yeah, well, look, I wouldn't argue with any of those. Um, and certainly, I, I definitely rated George's effort 
uh, right at the top for me. So, um, and and definitely Jake Lloyd, sort of second, I guess after that. He he was he was quite influential and and yeah, really sort of quality player as we as we know. Uh, and yeah, I support those those choices. Now we did send a question out to our listeners last night during the match, um, probably ill timed, but with the uh, time we're doing the podcast this morning, didn't really have too much of a choice. It's a nice and early podcast, so um, Heather, I do appreciate you coming on uh, at the spryly early time of. Uh, I think we started this at um, nine forty five actually in the morning, so it's a very very early podcast on a Sunday. Uh, but our question for our listeners was, how good are these kids? Who is your favourite and why? Uh, we did get a bit of a mixed response of some players who aren't exactly kids. Um, thank you, Amy, who said her favourite has to be Reg. Goes, goes about his job with no fuss and is rarely beaten, plus he's the edge. Um, I think he's about 30-odd years old. But anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all relative. I guess if you're 90, you see someone who's in their 30s as a kid. <laughs> Yes, uh, I think she's roughly about the same age as him. But yeah, that's no, a good point. Uh, so Jonathan from Twitter, he said, kids will be amazing next year. McCartan is showing so much potential for someone so young and playing such a key position. 100% agree with that one, Heather. Yes. Oh, look, totally. They can play next year and the year after and the year after that. It's at 18, he's got it all before him. And let's just keep our fingers crossed he can stay healthy. Yeah, and um, hopefully he doesn't sort of go the, uh, I guess, the Sam Reid path and just have injury after injury and just spend major portions of a season out on the sidelines. Um, if you look back, 2012, Sam Reid was the up-and-coming star, not only of the Swans, but of the league. And then he played uh, in 2013, the game in 2013 against North Melbourne and did his shoulder, and that was kind of like the start of his injury run where he's just had shoulders, um, calves, Achilles, oh, you name it, he's had it pretty much. He's just been injury-prone since that game against North Melbourne in 2013, really. Yeah, yep, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, uh, we, we love Sam Reid, but we don't see him enough, enough on the field. That's no. Sad fact of the matter. Basically, two, two out of his last three seasons, he's played one game. Yeah. So it's, um, it's unfortunate. Um, but look, another mm -hmm. one, Jacqueline from Facebook. She says her favorite is Hanabry. He gets in there and gives it his all. Week after week, he gets knocked around, squished to the ground, stood on, yet up he gets and continues. Last night, he got a corker, but the determination on his face was still there. His gut, spirit, and all that dedication make him a great player. Oh, look, 100% support this comment. I mean, one thing you can never accuse Dan Hanabry of is shirking yeah. uh, the work, particularly after he's been knocked down. That whole, that song, you know, the I get knocked down and, and get yep. back up again song, this totally applies to Dan Hanabry. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really, take out a semi-trailer onto the field and run him down, and I suspect he'd probably get up again. I'm pretty sure he had that in the 2016 Grand Final. I had a semi-trailer hit him, and he got back up and went back out there and played. But... Uh... Yes, uh, he's a warrior, and he was a player we needed. And unfortunately, when he went down, that was kind of felt like to me that might have been might have been it. But uh, look, Dan from Facebook, he says his favourite is George Hewitt, and he reminds him a lot of Brett Kirk and how he goes about tagging the best midfielders in the opposition. And he's had a great season so far. So before you respond, Heather, he was fifth in the Bob Skilton Medal last year. Do you think he could go a bit better this year? I actually, I think he can. I think he can because he's he's a very valuable player, and I th do think that the Swans coaching group um, do acknowledge the roles of people 
who aren't necessarily highlighted, the, you know, the non the non Lance Franklins of the team. So I think he could definitely go higher in the in the Skelton Medal because I think he's had a very good, consistent year. He gets given these tough jobs week in and week out, and he actually goes out there and does a terrific job nullifying the effects of some of these outstanding midfielders, um, you know, from opposition sides. So yeah, in in relation to that comment there um, about how Dan from Facebook um, says that George sort of reminds him a lot of Brett Kirk. Um, yeah, I, I can see why. Um, and he's got dark hair. I don't know whether he's Kirk. He ever had a moustache. Um, but certainly, yes, he the role that he plays is reminiscent of Kirky. And of course, Kirky went on to become one of the absolute legends of our club. So yeah, we hope that Georgie's going to stick around for a long time. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um... I thought he was terrific. I think he's a, a crucial player uh, to the way to the way we played. And to be honest, he's been our, I would say, our most consistent and arguably our best midfielder for the entire season. Would you agree with that? Oh, uh, yep, yep. I'd, I'd agree in terms of consistency. I don't think there've been too many others. Um, you know, we've had other players with good patches, but I think George has probably been our most consistent. So, yeah, totally, yep, agree with that. Now, we do have a couple more uh, comments to read as well from Facebook. So, Ash, he uh, he says, Massive upside with most of our kids, even Heaney and Mills still young. Dawson looks like he's born to play footy, and Florin and Haywood are doing everything right except the odd shot at goal. They both love a scrap when things get physical and look after their teammates amazingly for such young guys. Future leaders for sure. Watching the better. And I said this, I actually met when I met um, Tom McCartan, I asked him if he was the better McCartan. Watching the better McCartan develop into what I think will be a serious key post talent is probably the most exciting, so I'll choose him as my favourite if I have to pick one. Our future is very bright. Ghost Swans, great comment there from Ash. Yep, very well put. Well done. Can't add anything to that. That's magic. It is. It is. And Wayne from Facebook as well, he says, McCartan is the one. He presents at every contest, has great hands. Since he, add, since he will add weight and get stronger, he will bust packs open. The youngest in the AFL. 100% right there. There's a lot of love out there for Tom McCartan and George Hewitt. Absolutely. I hope they're, um, I don't know what their contract situation is, but uh, I hope <laughs> yeah. it's strong. Yep. And our last one comes from James and from tight. Facebook. <laughs> oh, and tight, yeah. Well, we do have, um, we do have a few uh, potential retirees this year. We already have one with Tippett. Um, and there's discussion that obviously Kieran Jack could go, potentially Joe McVeigh, although everyone hopes he goes around another season. And obviously Heath Grundy, we don't know what his future is. So there is going to be a bit of list turnover. So I think there is a bit of room to sort of uh, figure out what to do there. But our last comment comes from James from Facebook. He says his favourite is Oflo. Can you figure out who that one is there, Heather? Uh, I feel it must be Ollie Florence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why, he asks, composure and class. Considering the workload they've had to do during the year, I think they've been excellent. Um, I, I'm thinking he's talking about the kids at this point. Nothing wrong with fast-tracking the kids as it makes next year even more exciting. 100% agree there, James. That is a great comment. Heather? Yeah. Yeah, very, very good comment. And, and I'm a bit of a fan of Ollie Florence too. My husband sometimes sometimes in his delivery it's off because he's thought about what he might do and then he changes his mind. And, uh, yeah, and so some of his, um, I guess, decision-making still needs to be refined from time to time when he's you know, predominantly get out of the middle he can um yeah get a little bit not flustered because he is a very composed player but uh, yeah he can sort of make the wrong decision but what i love about him is the fact that he is so willing to take the game on he's not afraid to take it on and he's obviously a massive competitor and yep. the look on his face last night when he kicked that terrific goal 
was, you know, he, he was saying, bring it on, I want more of this. He wants to have that responsibility. So uh, I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a serious um, Ollie Florent fan and yeah. I just actually quite love that um, little nickname there, the O-Flow, love the it. <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was really good last year. I thought he's had a really good season in, in particular. Last year he was a bit, um, you could see the quality, it was, it was there. And, and we did talk about him a bit on the podcast, and I do remember um, both of us saying, especially earlier this year, but also last year, it wasn't a bad pick. It just looked like he was a bit too... He wasn't physically ready. And earlier this year, I do remember us talking about this earlier this year, Heather, and we've talked about this a couple of times since, when we said... We, I think we both agreed that it's not a ability thing, it's a confidence thing. He just look, looks like he's not really confident in his body yet. And then he had that one particular game where I think he got smashed and he just got back up and then he just went and laid an epic tackle in the next contest and it was just like from then it's just been this kid complaining he's got the confidence in his body to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And he, look, he's still he's still learning. So, I mean, I think you can only expect improvement from from him. So, yeah, yeah, terrific player, really terrific. He, yeah, he is. Uh, I really like what he does as well. I think he can be um, a bit like... It kind of reminds me a little bit like Jared McVeigh when he comes off the back line. He's, I mean, he's quicker than Jared McVeigh, but he, when his decision-making is spot-on, his disposal is as, clo- as close to elite as we can possibly get in the team, and he can hit a really good pass, really good 40-45 metre pass eight, nine times out of ten. And even when it doesn't hit, it never really gets turned over... Um, in the case where it goes over the um, target's head and it just goes straight back over his head. So I think he's going to be a really important player for us in the long term. Yep, yes. Now, we do have one more comment that just came in. This one's from Annette Gordon on Facebook. Uh, she says she loves the youngsters. Ronk, Dawson, Will, Papley, Ollie, Heaney, Mills, Malikin, etc. will all be better for this year. Finals experience, some good wins, close losses, terrible unexpected loss, all good experience. The future looks bright. 100% agree there. Yep. Yep, I think she echoes the feelings of uh, the, the majority of Swan supporters. So good on you, Annette. Yes, she does. Now, on to our questions from our listeners. We do have a comment, though. This one's from Jonathan from Twitter. Uh, this is the, more of a comment on last night's match. He says, inconsistent maggots, missed too many shots on goal, could have really used Parker and Buddy. Um, I can't really argue with that one there, Heather. No, no, I'll just, uh, thanks for that one. <laughs> <laughs> we could have definitely used Parker and Buddy. <laughs> yes, yes, we could have. Yep. Uh, now, our question for today's cast comes from Ash on Facebook. So, Heather, this one's for you. Why do we change a game plan that's working? Well, we obviously have to adjust to, you have to expect adjustments from your opposition. So, as we saw after half time, there was some changes made to the way Hawthorne were were playing because they felt that they weren't, um, you know, they weren't in control and the Swans were in control. So they adjusted their game. So it's this balancing act, isn't it, of being able yeah. to adjust to the adjustments. So I feel like that the game plan that we had in the first half that was working well wasn't working so half and working so well in the second half because Hawthorne were playing just again to that. I don't think we did um, enough. Uh, that isn't to say that there wasn't the effort there and it doesn't. I'm not suggesting for one minute that John Longmire wasn't considering ways that we could counter what was happening um, out on the field. But I think it's uh, a little bit simplistic to sort of think that we can just have a particular game plan that appears to be working 
and then think that that necessarily is going to carry you through for the entire match. But I mean, that's my feeling. What, what about you, Justin? I, I, I definitely thought at halftime the Hawks are going to go, were going to come out and they were definitely going to change things. There was no way that they were going to roll over and just play dead with top four on the line. So I did expect something to change from Hawthorne. They went back a little bit more to their sort of normal style of play, a bit more control, a bit more tempo. Uh, but they were certainly more fierce at the contest and I thought they definitely had more players around the contest and I thought that um, hurt the Swans, especially when Hanbury went went down. We lost that ability for players to go contest contest, and I thought it kind of went a little bit more on Kieran Jack's um, back. And I don't think he he's still a decent player, and I think he's still an important player for us. But I don't think he's really that capable of doing it for a long period of matches anymore. I think he's he hasn't quite got that um, base of fitness to be able to do that, and that's probably because he hasn't had a preseason for about three three years. So. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of that that sort of loss I thought really hurt us even though, even though that Hanbury's been pretty much playing injured since the 2016 Grand Final. So yeah, it, it was uh, a bit of a change. I thought we changed things up going into the last quarter. We both both teams had eight scores were scoring shots. Uh, the difference was, and um, Longmire said this in his press conference, we just we went accurate. Uh, we didn't convert our chances, and he's 100% right. Uh, mm-hmm. We kicked four goals, seven um, after half time to Hawthorne's 9-5. So that's one extra scoring shot. But they were accurate. Yeah. And they kicked three goals in a row in the second and... Uh, sorry, in the third and in the fourth quarter. Like three goals in a row without scoring up behind. And I, th- to be honest, I think that was probably the major difference between the two sides. Yeah, yep, totally agree. I mean, the Swans had the chance to win it. They could easily have won that game. So let's not forget that even though we can pick holes in what happened, I think we're purple in the face, but at the end of the day, we had opportunities to win it uh, and we weren't able to get the job done. So that's both, you know, a negative and also a positive. But um, yep, today I'm sort of trying to consider that as being a positive because I feel like potentially if we have... Yeah, Luke Parker taking one of those shots for goal. He's a tremendously accurate um, kick for goal. Completely different results. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of the way I'm approaching it at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you're not wrong about that, especially if... Um, I, I thought with Franklin out, our forward line looked a bit different and it functioned a bit differently. I didn't mind that. I really actually liked the setup that we went in the forward line. I thought it it worked well for us. Um, it's just, yeah, you, you just sort of go the what-ifs and the, and the buts and ifs and... But, you know, you just go look at the result and say, look, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with the loss to Gold Coast, uh, with the loss to um, to Essendon as well, and a couple of really poor games against Richmond and Geelong. So we are where we are, but all, all negatives aside, I thought our performance in general was very, very good for probably about two and a half to three quarters um, over the course of the game. I just think the problem that we've had this season is, and this might be like an age or an experience thing, Heather, but we just haven't been able to string a really good four-quarter performance together yet this season. I think that potentially there are, because with the flow of sort of younger kids, uh, and I shouldn't call them kids, younger young men uh, coming coming through, newer players coming through, I think it is hard to string together four quarters. And I, I would make the comment, though, that really there aren't many teams in the entire league who've been able to string four good, really good quarters <laughs> together. Yeah. Uh, you see it from time to time. Richmond do it, you know, reasonably often. Uh, West Coast have strung a few together this year, but there haven't been, you know, an awful lot of teams who've been able to do that either. So I guess that, um, yeah, it's just about making the most of your of your opportunities. Yeah, agree. I think um, if you look at the makeup of the teams, you kind of look at, I guess, 
uh, Melbourne, potentially GWS and Richmond as having... I mean, GWS have had a lot of injuries. They've played almost their entire list this year. Uh, when we beat them, they only had four listed players playing in the NEFL team, and that's the four reserve team. The, the list players in, is 40-odd players, including all the rookies and everyone. They only had four players on their list in their reserve team um, loss, which we beat them by about 60, 50, 60 points anyway that night, which was last week. But if you look at GWS, Richmond, and Melbourne, they have arguably uh, the most balanced list between uh, youth and um, youth inexperience and senior players and experience. Certainly, Richmond's got the most stable team out of the league. I think they've played the least players this season, about 30, 31 players or something like that. You look at um, Sydney, uh, Geelong, um, Hawthorne as well, um, West Coast even to some extent. They've got a lot of youth coming through. I think West Coast might not be a good example for this, but certainly Hawthorne, Sydney, and Geelong, they do have a lot of youth coming through. Sydney, definitely more than the other um, teams. And I think that's led to that, you know, um, inconsistent performance, especially not just week to week, but quarter to quarter. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep, so looking ahead now, Heather, we've got our final in two weeks' time. We'll find out today if it's going to be GWS or Geelong. Uh, who would you rather play and why? <laughs> well, I'm thinking probably Geelong. And the reason I'm saying this is because I feel like Geelong, for me, haven't totally convinced me that they're um, a side capable of winning a premiership for one. I think they can be hot and cold. I think 230-plus points against some pretty poor opposition. Yeah. I feel like that in terms of getting ready for finals and considering they also have next weekend off, that's not necessarily the you know the best way you'd want to go into a finals campaign. Bonds potentially in playing Geelong uh, at, at the SCG. Um, GWS I'm very wary of because they have the potential, if they can string a few games together, to beat anybody on their night. And they do have Cameron back in the team, who's their chief goal kicker. Uh, weeks they will appreciate a week off because they've got a horrific injury list. Um, <clears throat> it's even worse than Collingwood's. So I, <laughs> so if I had a choice and I could choose it today, I'm thinking probably Geelong next week. But for me, the big X factor, like it is for you, Justin, is the SCG. Yeah. Uh, is our game style now not suiting our home ground? Uh, kind of looks like it. I, I think we really struggle to close teams down now when they play a, a possession style of um, game. And we used to really be able to do that. We used to be able to really strangle teams out on the wing or in a pocket and then just force them to kick long down the line and just go down the line, down the line, down the line. But Hawthorne managed to just cut us up during um, straight through the middle. Geelong did it last time they played, just cut us up straight through the middle. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a weird one. We've lost, I think... One or two away games all season. Yeah, two away games. I think we lost two away games all season. And we've won every other away game against every, every other team. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I'm kind of looking at Geelong as well. I'd rather play Geelong. Their AR midfield is definitely better than their midfield, despite the fact that they have three of the best midfielders in their team. Uh, their second-tier midfielders, uh, I think, they're all very similar. Um Duncan, Manigola, um, Dangerfield, and Ablett. They're all very similar players. They're all very attacking players. Um, and then, obviously, Salwood. He's not really a ball-winning midfielder, but he can win the ball. 
But the thing is, they don't run back. They don't run two ways. They just all run attacking, and then they get killed on the rebound. So I think that's where the Swans are going to beat them. But the Swans are going to have to reverse their home home ground form. GWS, they make me a little bit nervous because if they get a couple of players back, you're right, they will not only beat anyone on the day, they will beat anyone on the day. And they could be, I would say, if GWS can be fit in the finals, they are probably the most likely team to win the grand final outside of the top four. Hmm. I would probably say that they would make the grand final with a fit list. I would be shocked if they didn't. Yeah, I'd, I'd, su- I'd support that. Uh, they haven't had a very good run, though, this season, so I guess if you were you know, a betting person, you'd say, oh, no, they're bound to get a couple more bad injuries. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> by, the, by, the t- by the time we reach the finals, um, uh, or, you know, that, that stage of the finals. But, yeah, look, if they, if they have a fit list, I would back them in to do something amazing from outside the top four, yes. Yeah. Now, the thing is, they are playing Melbourne. This is a bit like, um, I think, when Richmond played Carlton a couple of years ago, or Fremantle played Geelong when they um, beat Geelong in Geelong. They play Melbourne uh, this or today, actually, at the MCG. And the funny thing is, if GWS beats Melbourne, they're going to play Melbourne again in two weeks' time at Spotless. So it's a bit of a one of those kind of weird, funny things when the teams play each other two, essentially two rounds or two games in a row. I would, I would definitely back GWS in to beat them at spotless, hands down. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting game today because they're both playing for that home home final sort of um, spot. So, yeah. And Melbourne are a bit hard to pick these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They, they're just as likely to fall asleep and roll over as they are to put in a good performance. Um, so they're pretty inconsistent as well. So, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. um, bit of an interesting one. Now, how, how far into the finals do you think we can go, Heather? Uh... <laughs> well, my heart and my head are saying two different things, Justin. Um, I'd like to think that if Franklin and Parker were fit under finals pressure, which can be a bit different to regular pressure, I'd like to think that we could actually get to, we could win the first final and get to the second round of finals. But I'm not really willing to predict any anything beyond that. Uh I guess all I'm prepared to say is that my heart wants me to think that we'll just keep going and going and going. My head is saying, not this year. My head yeah. is saying, not this year. I feel like we can yep. win a final. That's that's about <laughs> yeah. as much as I'm ready to say. It is a little bit like last year. Um, the funny thing is, we will play Geelong. If um, Okay, so if, if GWS win, we'll play Geelong for the third year in a row in the finals. So... It's a, it's a pretty amazing um, pretty amazing feat, I reckon. We've beaten them back in 2016. We knocked them out in 2016. 2017, they knocked us out. Uh, and obviously, 2018, who knows if we play them in a final. Uh, it could be, I think, the th- second second time we played, uh, we played GWS in a final. Um, if GWS win... Actually, no, sorry, we can't. Yeah, we can play GWS if Melbourne wins, sorry. So it could be the second time we play GWS. Um, and there's going to be a lot of argument about where we actually play the game because uh, our leader, Andrew Ireland, has said play it at the SCG um, and GWS has said play it at our home ground. It won't matter because it's going to be a uh, Sydney final, a Sydney Swans home ground final. So we're playing either either team. So yeah, I'm going to say first final and then we'll see where we go from there um, because I think we play a loser of um, Richmond Geelong. Mm-hmm. If we win, I think. And I would say we can beat Collingwood. Our best can definitely beat Collingwood. Um, 
Richmond, though, I'd be nervous because Richmond's best is pretty bloody good. Yeah, they've got speed to burn, so that worries me. Yeah, and I'd say we we could still beat the winner of um, Hawthorne Eagles. I have to have a look at where the finals chart is, but I can't remember if we, if we play first and fourth or second or third if, if we win. If we win, that's a big if. So. Yes, let's let's see. Oh, it's some interesting interesting games today to determine what's going to happen in the finals. We'll find out yes. a little bit more by the end of the day. <laughs> the funny thing is, if uh, GWS win and we win, and then we both win our finals, and then somehow we both win our finals, it could be an all Sydney Grand Final. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, obviously, we're not going to look that far ahead because that's just um, wishful thinking. But uh, look, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great having you on again. We love having you on every time. Well, it's been absolute delight having a chat to you fairly early on a Sunday, um, Justin. Yep. And uh, thanks, everybody, who contributed their questions and comments and things for the game. It's really great to have that sort of interaction. And it's always a pleasure. And would love to have been able to sit here and you sort of talked about this magnificent victory over the Hawks. But, you know, <laughs> not, not this time, but maybe next no. time. Yes, definitely maybe next time. Next time will be great. Um, we might not have to wait too long for that. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully in a month's time we can talk about that magnificent win over the Hawks. Uh, but uh, it'd be great to get one back. But look, um, as always, guys, we are on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get in contact with us with the tag, the Swans blog. You can also leave us messages and comments throughout the week with the hashtags SwansCast and SwansCast Extra. We will be back on Saturday, in fact, during the day. We are looking to do a live SwansCast Extra episode. We'll chat about our season. We'll chat about the finals ahead. Um, we'll give our take on what the matches are going to look like, who's going to win, and how far we're going to go. Um, so we'll give you our lineup later on during the week, and we'll try and take some more interviews during the week to play through that show. So make sure you join us live Saturday. Keep updated on Facebook for our info, because we'll be doing it on Facebook.